Well, I came across something uh, online the other day that uh, was very, very interesting to me. A fellow wrote this little meme. It's called An Atheist's View on Life. It goes like this. I will live my life according to these beliefs. God does not exist. It is just foolish to think there is a God with a cosmic plan that an all-powerful God brings redemption and healing to the world is a comforting thought, however it's only wishful thinking. People can do as they please without eternal consequences. The idea that I am deserving of hell because of sin is a lie meant to have me enslaved to those in power. The more you have, the happier you will be. Our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. In a world without God, there is freedom to live without God. It is ridiculous to think that I am lost and in need of saving. That's the atheist view on life. If you take all those same phrases and you read them from bottom to top, it is the biblical view on life. And it sounds like this. I am lost and in need of saving. It is ridiculous to think without God that there is freedom to live. In a world with no God, our existence has no grand meaning or purpose. The more you have, the happier you will be is a lie meant to have me enslaved to those in power. Because of sin, I am deserving of hell. The idea that people can do as they please without eternal consequences is only wishful thinking. However, it is a comforting thought that an all-powerful God brings redemption and healing to the world, that there is a God with a cosmic plan. It is just foolish to think God does not exist. I will live my life according to these beliefs. Very creative person. You know, there are actually no true atheists in the world. There are some who like to think that there's no God. And they would like to imagine in their own minds that there's no God, because then there would be no, no accountability, uh, no one to answer to. And then they can feel free to live their lives any way they wish to live. Some uh, look at a world filled with evil, and they imagine that they, if there really were a God, that he could stop this evil and automatically just make everybody be nice. However, those same people reject the idea that human beings are robots who can be programmed, yet they want God to somehow just make everybody be nice. Atheism actually is quite illogical. It doesn't really make sense. How, how can you be opposed to something that you don't think exists? Of course, they would probably say, I'm just rejecting the idea that there's a God. But my question again is, so if there's no one really up there, why should I be against a nothing? There's nothing to be against. And I, I am quite convinced that the people who say there is no God know that there is one. They just don't like him. And that, that's the real issue. They don't like what he says. They don't like what he stands for. They don't like what they think he is allowing. They don't want to answer to anyone. They don't want to submit to anyone. They want to live their life any way they please without interference from a higher authority. They want to be their own authority, so they reject the existence of God because they don't like him. So while I don't believe there are any really true atheists, I do believe that there are many practical atheists. And what I mean by that is there, there are people who know that God is there, they just live like he isn't. 
They say they believe in God, but they don't live like they believe in God. <clears throat> they, they live their lives any way that they please. They tell themselves that they're okay, they're a good person, they've never hurt anybody, they've never done anything criminal, and God is love and He is too nice to judge their sin, so in the end everything will work out okay somehow. So I will do whatever I want, I will say whatever I want, I will be whatever I want, I will go wherever I want, I will live however I want, if I'm wrong, Lord, stop me. People use that line many times. And in the end, somehow everything will work out. They are what I might call a practical atheist. I know God is there, I just want to pretend like He isn't. Then I can do whatever I want. And interestingly, there are many people who profess to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who are practical atheists. They know many, many things. They know what they should be doing. They just don't do it. They know what God expects of them. They just don't do it. They know God is there. They just don't really live like it. In a sense, they're kind of practical atheists. Now, you may be wondering... I thought we were studying through the Gospel of Mark, so why is the pastor giving us this mini-sermon about practical atheists? Well, we're going to see two sets of practical atheists in our passage today. The first set of practical atheists has seen the light of truth, and they have heard the light of truth, and they have decided that they don't want the light of truth, so they act like he's not really there. The other set of practical atheists have, have actually accepted the light of truth. They talk with him. They hang out with him. They have believed in him, but they still don't quite get it. And you'll see what I mean in a moment. The first set of practical atheists is permanently blind to the truth. The second set is just temporarily blind to the, to the truth. And they are going to eventually see so let's read our text for today, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. That's where we are, the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8. And we are going to begin to read in verse 11, and we are going to go to verse 21. Mark, 11, Mark 8, verse 11 is where we'll start, go to verse 21. Mark eight eleven. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him. Seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it? that you do not understand. 
I think most of you know that the Bible teaches that everybody born into the world is born spiritually blind. It is the result of the curse of sin. It's, it, it's on everyone. Every, everyone born into the world is blind to spiritual reality. I know many people think they're spiritual, they say they're spiritual, but the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man, and that's a term that the Apostle Paul used to describe a person who only has natural senses, but he does not have the ability to connect with God spiritually, he's spiritually dead. So the natural man, Paul says, does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. To him they are foolishness because they are understood or discerned spiritually. Spiritually. We are spiritually dead. Ephesians chapter 2 says we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're spiritually dead and we are blind spiritually because the curse of sin is on every human being who is born. John chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 say men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You ever wonder why most crime is committed at night? Law enforcement statistics tell us the most violent crime, that most violent crime is committed between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. John wrote, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So the sin that we commit continues to blind us, not just criminal behavior, but all of our sin. Uh, so we are spiritually blind because of our natural inclination to sin, and we are blinded even more because of the actual sin that we commit. And then according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, The God of this world, which of course is Satan, it's the devil, he has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. So the devil takes our natural condition of blindness and our sinful behavior that blinds us, and then he makes it even worse. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like a triple blindness. Man is naturally blinded by our sin nature that we're born with. He is sinfully blinded because of the actions and the sins we commit, and he's satanically blinded because the devil blinds their eyes. And, and apart from the grace of God breaking into our hearts and opening our eyes, we will eventually be eternally blinded in hell. When the Lord Jesus describes hell, he mentions darkness several times. Three times in the book of Matthew, he describes hell as being a place of, of, of absolute darkness. And you know, all, all of the foolishness that people say, men especially are bad about this. I've heard so many guys say, you know, they, they, they want to go to hell so they can hang out with all their friends and hope there's plenty of cold beer. Ha 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 ha. As though hell's going to be a big party with all my renegade friends from the bar. Of course, it's absolute foolish nonsense. Hell is a place of darkness, Jesus says. So it's even questionable how many other people a person would even be able to see when they were in hell. The little letter that we call Jude, the book of Jude, right before Revelation, describes eternal punishment as the blackness of darkness. So hell is a very, very dark, dark place. You know, I've heard other people say, you know, I, I love my mom, I love my dad, I love my kid, I love my uncle, I don't think they're going to be in heaven, and, and so maybe I, maybe I don't want to go to heaven, maybe I want to be with, be with my relative that I love in, in, in hell somewhere. Again, foolishness, so, oh, such, such sad, sad foolishness. 
to think that you're actually going to have some sort of social interaction with someone in, in a place of eternal punishment. Not so. It is a dark, frightening, horrifying place, not to mention the fires of hell. So the scripture says we are naturally blinded, we are sinfully blinded, we are satanically blinded, and without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we will be eternally blinded in the blackness of darkness of hell. So we all come into the world blind, but we don't all leave the world blind. Some of us have come to see by the grace of God, but we have been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, as Colossians 1 says. Some of us have come to the light of the world, and we walk in the light, as 1 John says. But, but, but we all started out blind. And if you and I can see today, give praise and thanks to the Spirit of God who opened our eyes to see the light of the truth. Now, by the time we come here to chapter 8 in Mark's gospel, it's been over two years that Jesus has been ministering openly, publicly, doing so many miracles that, that, that they're just literally unable to even count them all. Just astounding, incredible, mind-blowing demonstrations of God's power as, the, as God and, and as a creator. But no matter how brightly the light was shining... Sinners love the darkness, John 1, John chapter 1 says of the Lord Jesus, in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it or did not overcome it. And these supposed religious leaders of Israel loved the darkness. They hated the light and the people who followed them were in the same category. The leaders of Israel and the people who followed them were devoted to their own self-delusion of righteousness, their own self-delusion of their own spirituality. And this is a very crucial point in the ministry of the Lord Jesus in Galilee. We saw back in chapter 7 that Pharisees had now come up from Jerusalem into Galilee to around Capernaum. The local leaders had called in reinforcements to see how they could get rid of the Lord Jesus. They had begun plotting to kill him way back in chapter 3 of Mark, early in his ministry. But this event seems to be a major turning point. Because as soon as Jesus shows up back in Galilee, remember uh, the last couple of weeks he's been in Gentile territory. For probably two months at least. Tyre and Sidon, then back through the mountains of southern Lebanon, down to Decapolis. And now he has sailed back to Dalmanutha uh, near, near Capernaum. And the Pharisees find out that he's back again. And they show up to argue with him and demand a sign from heaven that he is the Messiah. Look at verse 11 again. The Pharisees came out. Well, came out from where? Came out from Capernaum. And they came out to where they heard Jesus was and they began to dispute with him. They came for an argument. They came for a fight. They came for controversy. Seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Although the scripture does not record what Jesus was thinking, it says he sighed deeply. Now, Jesus was sinless, of course, but he was human, although without sin. So I would imagine that the deep sigh could represent Many different emotions, disgust, frustration, godly irritation, 
And if you don't think God gets irritated with human unbelief, you haven't read enough scripture. God definitely gets irritated with human unbelief. Now, in my humanity, tainted by sin, I'd like to say to the Pharisees, you bunch of arrogant hypocrites. The Lord Jesus has been doing hundreds of signs every week for the last two years. Astounding, incredible, mind-blowing signs like no one has ever done in the history of the world. And you bunch of arrogant hypocrites still want another one. I know you're blind, but seriously, you got to be kidding me. You guys are unbelievable. That's what I'd like to say. Actually, there's probably a number of people I'd like to say that to, besides just the Pharisees there. I'd like to grab some people and say, what is wrong with you? But the scripture simply says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. And he said, no sign. Why do you want a sign? After all this time and all these miracles, why do you want a sign? I'm done giving you signs. You want to be blind? Okay, be blind. I'm done with you. And he left them. Notice it says there in, in, verse, uh, in verse 13, it doesn't say he left Capernaum. It says he left them. He, he, he left, he turned and he left them. He got into the boat. There it is again for those of you who were with us a few weeks ago when we talked about not a boat, but the boat is always the definite article. He getting into the boat. Again, he departed to the other side. They sailed away. And Jesus never again performed public ministry in Galilee. He came back briefly to Galilee, but he never conducted a public ministry again in that place. It was like this turning point where this pivot where, where after all the things Jesus had done, the Pharisees come out and give us another sign from heaven. Jesus says, I'm done with you. No sign. Why are you always looking for a sign? I've given you thousands of them. No sign. And he left them, got into the boat, and sailed away. Do you understand that a that a hardened heart is basically a problem for religious people or people who think they're spiritual. You see, a heart that has never been exposed to the truth can't harden itself against the truth. A heart without some knowledge of the truth can't harden itself against the truth. To harden yourself against the truth, you have to be exposed to the truth. And then you have to choose to reject it or ignore it. And that's why those who heard and saw Jesus, who actually heard and saw him, stood in the, the, the greatest danger of having a hard heart. And the same is true today for anybody else who sits under the truth. The more truth that you hear, the more danger there is for us to develop a hard heart. And the Pharisees and everyone who went along with them, they, they were practical atheists, all right. They, they became permanently blind because they saw the, the very Son of God. They looked at Him. They listened to Him. They watched Him. And they ultimately rejected Him. So who would dare to follow Jesus? Because whoever followed Jesus would be turning his back on the, relig on the religious life of their ancestors. We don't really, because we're not Jewish, because we didn't grow up in that era, because we're not, we're not there, we, we, we might not quite grab the gravity of that, but I bet, I bet a number of us would, and a, and a number of us do. 
kind of we we can get a hold of that 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 these Jewish men who are following Jesus these 12 apostles and all of the other dozens and dozens of disciples who follow Jesus in order to do that because of what the Pharisees were pushing because of what the religious leaders were were were, were pushing they would have to turn their back on the religion of their ancestors they would have to reject the spirituality of their own ethnic group, the Jews. They would have to turn from the religion of their past life. They couldn't straddle the fence, as the old saying goes. Yeah, they had two choices. It was either remain with the rituals and traditions of the Pharisees, or it was all in, both feet in, with the Lord Jesus. And that's exactly what the disciples did. Those who went with Jesus followed the light. Spiritual blindness, they had it. For them, it was only temporary. Oh, they, they struggled with blindness. We just read it, and we'll see a couple pieces of it again. They were practical atheists in some ways, but it was only short-term. It was only temporary. By the grace of God, they, they caught on in a bit. You know, you know Jesus was a, a master educator. He was a brilliant disciple-maker. He tells his disciples what they need to know. He tells them only what they are able to grasp at that time. He repeats his teachings. He reminds his disciples of what he taught. He explains to them what they need to know, and he warns them about what to watch out for. He was a master educator. And as they sail away from the Pharisees, after this final confrontation, they get in the boat and they push out into the Sea of Galilee, Jesus turns to his disciples and he gives them a warning. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. In Matthew's record, Jesus also included the Sadducees. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Herod. They say, what, what's he talking about? Well, leaven, we would think of it today as yeast. And, and throughout the Bible, it is a picture of, of influence and usually a corrupting influence. There are two times in the New Testament where Jesus speaks of leaven or yeast in a positive way, picturing the spread of his spiritual kingdom in the world. But the majority of the time, yeast is a picture of a corrupting influence. Knowing the spiritual immaturity of the disciples, knowing their struggle with spiritual blindness, he knows they're in danger from false doctrine and worldly ideas and sinful behaviors. So he tells them, watch out, fellas. Watch out for what these guys are teaching. Watch out for the way they live. It is a danger to you, so watch out. See, the Pharisees were all wrapped up in rituals and traditions and ceremonies, uh, leading them to this look-at-me kind of self-righteousness. Herod was all about partying and, and wealth and power, leading him to, to this self-centered, ungodly lifestyle. And both the Pharisees and Herod, in their own ways, they were filled with pride and, and self and status and position and, and look who I am. Whereas Jesus was all about unselfishness and self-denial and humility and submission to God and service to God. So he says to his spiritually immature followers who are still struggling with an, with an element of spiritual blindness, he says, watch out for the corrupting influence of these kinds of guys, their teachings and their lifestyles. That's good advice for followers of Jesus today. Watch out for corrupting influences in this world. It can drag you away from the Lord Jesus. 
You probably, some of you long-time church folks, you may remember the little kids chorus used to sing it a long time ago. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little hands, what you do. whole bunch of verses of that. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. And that's basically a warning right out of the Scripture. Jesus says, beware of the leaven, the corrupting influence of the Pharisees and of Herod. Watch out for corrupting influences in this world. Good advice for all of us. Of course, because the disciples were still struggling with spiritual blindness, they missed it. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And because they were still struggling with spiritual blindness and they realized they only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat, they thought Jesus was making some kind of connection between the Pharisees and bread. When I read that, I think, oh, come on, guys, really? But then I think, I'm just as bad. Jesus gives them this gentle rebuke. He basically says, come on, fellows, are you not plugged in? Do you not remember the 5,000 plus in Bethsaida that we fed and the 4,000 plus in Decapolis? Do you not, do you not remember how much we started with and how much was, and how much was left over? Why in the world are you worried about bread? You just watched me create enough bread to feed 10,000 people. Out of a couple of little loaves. Why are you worried about bread? In Matthew's parallel account, he records that then the, the disciples got it. Ah, okay. He wasn't talking about bread. He meant the teachings of the Pharisees. You know, I, I, I hate to admit it as your pastor, but I might as well because you are well aware that I am totally human. But there are some days that I am a practical atheist. Oh, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know I am forgiven. I know I am headed for heaven by the grace and mercy of God. I am a committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am totally a Bible believer. I love the Lord Jesus more every year. I love to study the Word of God and teach it to you. But there are some days I am just like the disciples, and so are you. Sometimes we worry about the dumbest things. Sometimes I get troubled about the long-term future of Whitetail Baptist Church. I get discouraged with the Lord's people. Sometimes I get discouraged with myself. I get irritated by the world. I, I understand the, the deep sigh of the Lord Jesus that we read about today in his confrontation with the Pharisees. Of course, his deep sigh was totally righteous. Mine is undoubtedly not. There was an issue that was really, really concerning me in the last few weeks. I'm not going to get into all the details of it because I don't need to take the time to do that. If you want to know what it is, I'll tell you sometime. But you do have to ask. But there was an issue. It was really, it was really concerning me. It was on my mind uh, off and on through the day the last few weeks. And, and, and it, it was really foolish to be worrying about it, but I was anyway. And I heard someone speaking this week, and the Lord kind of really gave me a good little jab. And I said, okay, Lord, I hear you. I stand rebuked. And I took my concern, and I laid it down at the foot of the cross, and I left it there. And you know, I felt a whole lot better since then. 
You know, folks, we, we know the truth. Most of you know the Lord. We know what the Bible says. But I imagine that we're all together in this room with a bunch of fellow practical atheists. We know God is there. We know the verse, I will never leave you or forsake you. But do we live like we say, or like we know what we say we know? Do, do, do we act like we belong to the God of the universe, the creator of the ends of the, ends of the earth? Does, does Jesus say to us, how is it that you do not understand? Do you not remember who I am? Paul Tripp, that we have done some of his Bible studies over the years, he likes to use the phrase practical, or, or sorry, spiritual amnesia. He likes to talk about people having spiritual amnesia. That is, we, we've heard the truth, we know what the truth is, we just don't live like we know what the truth is. We know what God expects of us, we just don't do it. We know what God is leading us to do, we just don't do it. We are, we are, we are spiritual amnesia. We're like, we're like practical atheists who, who have all these wonderful Bible facts floating around in our brain, we just don't live that way. There's this great spiritual disconnect between what we say we know and what we actually do. And does Jesus say to us, as he said to, to the disciples, how is it that you do not understand? Do you not remember who I am? Let's pray. Oh, Father, forgive us for our days when we act like practical atheists. When the trials and challenges and hardships and heartaches and losses and difficulties of this life come upon us, help us to remember who you are and whose we are. We ask these things in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.